Hi, we have with us here in the studios today Advocate Radharao Gracias, a gentleman known not only to the Goans in Goa, but to those settled around the world. He is a formidable lawyer. We have witnessed his role in the political field. As an activist, he has fought many a pro bono case. His articles in the newspapers have captivated us and we have eagerly looked forward to the next. Just recently, he has made his presence in a new field with the release of his debut novel. Welcome, Dr. Radha Rao, to what I hope will be an enlightening journey through your book. My eyes caught an interesting line on the back cover of your book. Permit me. He is one of those rare breeds who never cares about being politically correct, which lands him in regular controversies. Uh, see, we will take this as your opening statement. <laughs> see, what happens is this li line is the publisher's line. It's not I don't write that column, that part of the book. But it is also a fact that I, I have been active on the political and social field for many years. And I always stand up and say whatever I feel like saying. I never make, uh, make provision for what the other man may think. If I feel this is the way it should be, I say so. And that has got me in trouble all my life. So, but that doesn't matter. I stand up and say what I have to, as I have said in my book also. So, that was how the activist was born. Right. Love him, hate him, or fear him. But whatever. You have to take your heads off to the magical feats he's known to perform in any field he enters. This is the novel we are going to juggle our way through today. But first, I'd like to probe into what is indisputably your brilliant mind. Radha Rao, the hero of this book, is a young gentleman named Ismail. You speak to us through this narrator and at the same time you have cleverly roped in a badkar through whom you give us your wisdom and at the same time you use him to discuss legal matters. Now, having said that, we want to know, Goa wants to know the young Radha Rao, as he was in the 60s and 70s. What were his ambitions? What were his parents' ambitions for him? What shaped him? Just let's have it all. Uh, see, what happens is, of course, in those days, in the 70s, when I was growing up, uh, professions were very few. And somehow, because of my very garrulous nature, if I may say so, of standing up and talking on everything, uh, I, was, I naturally gravitated towards the legal profession. And so my parents had absolutely uh, no, no objections or problems with whatever I chose, because we had at home the freedom to, to choose whatever we wanted to study and whatever help my parents could afford, that was always available for us. 
financially or otherwise. So I took up law as a profession because somehow I, I was in it from the, the very beginning. I loved to read, I loved to discuss, I loved to argue. And law is a profession where all this matters. And it has my basic inherent attitude of discussion and debate has helped me in my profession also. That's factually correct. So we did get to know you better. Now, let's start the journey through your book. Take us for a walk through chapter 20 and point out all the fascinating spots one can see on the way. That deals with, that is a chapter titled Tujay Bapai Chankestam. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You see, this chapter is essentially about the song uh, Iron, Lion and Zion, uh, sung by a very popular song by Bob Marley. Now, if you go through that song, somewhere along the way he sings Tujay Bapai Chankestam, which looks completely incongruous for a song based in Jamaica, where, which has no connection with Goa, whereas these, these words are typically Goan Konkani words. So when I listened to that song, I said, how could this be? Then I, my imagination I let loose. Let me explain. And so as a consequence, I have sought to explain these words in Bob Marley's mouth in my own way. I would not want to narrate this to the readers because I would expect the readers to spend some money, buy the book and read it for themselves. So let them read, it, read the whole book and they will know how the words to Bapai Chankestam have come to be in Bob Marley's song. Talking about songs, I think many a reader will feel nostalgic as you have mentioned the songs in your books. Now, if any of you have this book at hand, kindly turn to page 202. Now, the Barkar speaks very provocatively on a subject. I'll be reading paragraphs 2 and 3 on page 202. Paragraph 2. Never go to a court, never. It is a waste of time and money. What we have are courts of law, not courts of justice. So rarely will you get justice in a court. You may get a judgment though. Paragraph 3. A successful lawyer is he who first confuses himself, then he seeks to confuse opposing counsel, and finally he seeks to confuse the judge. If he succeeds, it is called justice. Yes. Now this is a real bouncer and I need you to cross-examine this Badkar. You see, what happens is, but the Badkar is merely a character in the book. It is I who am the lawyer. Now, everything in this book, the factual part, is essentially my own experiences. As a lawyer, you see, I am, clients come to me. They want justice done. But the fact is, justice is something very distant. It's not that easily available. What we get in court, courts is not just, definitely not justice, because it doesn't satisfy anyone, not the plaintiff, not the defendant, usually. So what you get is only a judgment. The court is not equipped to give justice. It is only equipped to go through the evidence and based on those facts, pass a judgment. 
justice, to give justice, all the facts must be before the court, which never come. So therefore, I have tried to put it in my own words to say that this is what is happening. And everybody says, talks about lawyers, you know, that they milk the clients and all that. So all this is part of that procedure. I mean, my own experience in the court, uh, in fact, if you stand up in a court and see how lawyers argue, in many cases, it is confusing. The lawyer is confused, opposing counsel is confused, and judge is also confused. That is what I have brought out here. This is my own experience in the courts, by sitting back and as lawyers argue, you can see what's going on. So I thought it would be better to put it in writing, in my own words. Okay. The older we get, the more we think. Now, when I arrived on page 167, I was fascinated by a line you introduced there. Charles Dickens says, I quote, the law is an S, unquote. I would like you to interpret this line with that peculiar rather out twist. I know. See, what I have said is the law is an S where I have paraphrased uh, Charles Dickens. But then I add, the litigant feeds it, the lawyer milks it, the judge, he writes it, and very pompously too. Now, this is actually the public opinion. You see, if you see any litigant, and if you just hear what they talk behind you, this is the way they talk. What does the judge know, man? He just puts on airs there. This is the public perception of things. And my own perception also is that, you see, many a lawyer tries to milk the client. <laughs> I mean, this is obvious, although I may be a lawyer, I, I look, detach myself when in writing this book. And I have written it. I, so actually, I mean, this is the way a litigant looks at a lawyer, at a lawyer, at, at disputes, at everything. Very interesting. Uh, I would like you to turn to page 176. Turn to page 176. Right? Mm. Okay. Now, a fisherman comes all the way from Betel Batim and Ismail is taken up with the way the Barkar handles the situation and he says to him, you are very religious. Now, I need you to read paragraph 1 on page 176. The, this is the response of the Barkar to Ismail. See, what the Barkar says, at least tells, interrupts is, my advice has not much to do with being religious or not. It is practical advice. This man, as could be seen, has a belief in some divine power to help him. And I channelize that power. I believe that everyone must be true to the faith he follows. He's a Christian and I showed him the path laid for a Christian. You must remember that God is the strength of the needy. See, yes, people go to very God. Very profound words. Very profound. People go to Wait, God. I need you to walk and talk around this paragraph and perhaps give us a little of what Radha Rao realized as he walked forward in life's journey. See, my personal opinion, this is essentially again my personal perception yes. of mm. what religion ought to be. Mm. Now, I, I find here in India, people move to temples, to churches, to mosques, same person. Mm. You see, even after every election, you'll see ministers going and praying, Catholic ministers going and praying before churches, before temples, and Hindu ministers going to churches and temples. This is something I, I dislike. I believe that if I am a Christian, I must be true to my own God, go to the church and pray. If I am a Hindu, I must go to a temple and pray. This thing going to all gods and bowing to all gods and temples is not what your religion teaches you. 
if my religion teaches you there is one God, I may not try to enforce my God on you. But when it comes to doing something, praying, I will only pray to my God. I will not go to a temple to pray. Neither do I expect a Hindu come to a church to pray. This is the crux of the problem in India. We all mix up things. If one is true to his one faith, one's own faith, I think India will be a better place. That is why I have said that. Okay. So most of us come to this realization later in life. Now moving on, we read chapter 23. Now chapters 23 to 26 are a real treat. But I think we will leave it to the reader to realize how Radharao can take a small fact and build a skyscraper of fiction around it. Now in this novel, we dwell on familiar scenes and episodes of the 60s and 70s. Radha Rao, the stage is all yours. Kindly tell our viewers and your readers, one, why you embarked on this journey. Two, how were you able to get so well into the heads of the characters? And three, connect the dots and tell us how the book got its title. Uh, see, what happens is, uh, now as I, as I have become a senior citizen, reached across 60 years of age, mine goes back to the years I was growing up in. And I can see that there is a huge difference in the way life has turned up over the last 30 to 40 years. You see, Goa has totally changed. And I felt that there is need to maintain a record of the life when I grew up in. And I thought the best way would be to do it in the form of a novel. So this book has two parts. One is the narrative, which is fiction. And one is the descriptive part, which is the, the, where the book is, where the book is uh, centered. So in doing this, I have, the book is basically based in my own village of Majorda and Bethalbati. And of course, with some events taking place in Bombay and Ireland also. But essentially, the purpose was to keep a record of life in my growing up years. So, and I have taken care to see that life in the villages in the 1970s, in my teenage years, are very clearly defined as they were when I was young. Every character, everything that happened, the fishermen, the tribal, the football we played, all that is brought in here. But I have added fiction to it. The purpose is essentially if someone wants to find out how life was in Goa in the 1970s, you read my book and you will know it, how life in a rural Goa was. And that is the purpose. Mm. And the narrative, of course, is to allow my mind to roam and, and create something that's what I wanted, fiction. And that's what I have done in this book. I think you also have expressed a lot of concerns in the book. Uh, obviously, you see, mm. I have been an activist all my life. Mm. I've been an activist because I had concerns about my land and its people and which way we were heading. Mm. Now, as you grow older, I realize that despite all my activism and agitation, I was not successful. I could not convince the people of Goa that my way was a better way for them. Invariably, I found that I was on the losing track. People would listen, but no one ever actually followed what I had anticipated. Mm. But today I find a lot of people come and tell me that I addressed a meeting there, I had said something there, and that it is coming true, that what Goa would come to. So that way many people appreciate, mm. appreciate what I was saying. But then in, in Goa, uh, politics was divided between Congress and MGP and BJP, and people would not think beyond that. Yeah. Yes, I, I do understand your concerns and the concerns of the older generations. 
And I think if you go to the last chapter of your book, it is well expressed there. Yes. Now, coming to the last chapter where you express all these concerns, I have a question to put to you. What will happen to the two houses once Ismail moves to Ireland? Is there a solution you have in mind or is it just mere blickness or will there be a sequel to the book? Wait, we also want to know if Ismail will come to Goa or will he sell the two houses or just give us all the possibilities. See, uh, the purpose of this book is precisely to raise these queries. Now, it is my experience that people go out of Goa, people, have gone, people particularly the Catholics, have been migrating like your parents did to East Africa, to West Asia, to Europe, wherever. And what I have noticed is those people who were born in Goa and who migrate, post-retirement they come to Goa to enjoy their final years. But their children born abroad have no connect with Goa as their parents had. So most of them come back and spend a few years in their homes and then finally dispose of their houses and go. But I think this is not just true of Goa, this is true throughout the world, even in Ireland. Most Irish people have migrated. The state abandoned houses are there. It's throughout Europe. So once people go and they succeed elsewhere, their, their, their heirlooms, whatever land and all they had, they come back merely to sell it. And I think that is what is going to happen in my land also. I find it happening in my own village. Most of the people I grew up with have all settled abroad. And all sorts of people from all over the world are coming, all over India are coming and settling. I think that is, a, that is what we cannot stop. It could have been stopped if Goa had a different politics in the, in, in immediately after liberation. Now things have gone too far, and I think the Goa of, in which I lived, and which I, I have narrated in the book, is lost forever. I don't think it will come back. So this just blickness? I would think so. I mean, that Goa will not come back. Maybe in the new Goa that comes, maybe better for so the no occupants. So no sequel to the book? No, no, sequel to the book is not the issue. Mm. I will be write, definitely writing more, mm. but may not be a sequel. Okay. These are questions I've raised for the readers to answer. Okay. Right. <laughs> now, now, you had stated to the press, so for me, it is a farewell to activism and politics as I move into new avenues. Yes. Now, this is the moment of truth. Will the magician who has upset many an apple cart be ready to give it all away or will the bug return to bite him again? See what happens when I am talking of activism politics, I am talking of grassroots level, ground level, in which I was very active for the first 30 years of my life, of my life as an adult. But as age comes in health, uh, as you grow older, health also weakens. It's difficult for me to be active in that sense. But if there is a public issue which requires my presence, I am not going to run away from it. But I will never be able to give there so much of time and energy which I did in my earlier years. That is what I'm saying. So sorry. I have found different avenues. Wait, sorry, uh, oh yeah, different avenues. Uh, I have, like writing. Yeah, yeah, okay, just a moment, just a moment. Sorry yeah. for butting yeah. in. Yeah. But I did happen to see you in a video put up on the South Goa Advocates Group. Mm where you really give a very good take on the assaulted lawyer issue. Mm. But that imp 
inside me couldn't resist thinking, wasn't this activism? <laughs> <laughs> See, what happens now, Em, uh, th that is South Goa Advocates Association, of which I am former president, of which I have always been a very active member. And when a lawyer is arrested, uh, is beaten up by the police, I think every citizen must stand up, forget about a lawyer. You see, as a lawyer, if I were not to stand up for my colleague and address our own body, I would not be a lawyer, I would be a coward. You see, as a lawyer, I have to stand up. And what was done was wrong. And I, I will tell you this. You see, if a lawyer is under attack by the police for doing his job, then no citizen is safe. Because in times of when citizens are under stress, when the wrong is done to them, it is the lawyer who goes up and fights for them. So if the state itself uses its might to beat up lawyers, then the citizen is not safe. That is why I was there. To tell the citizens, you better stand up for the lawyers. They are fighting for you. He can hit the ball. That was massive. A six right into the crowd. Back to earth. Congratulations on a well-written book, on a superb release, and the book is out on Amazon for sale. Before we call it a day, just an observation. Your book has all the masala required for a good movie. Do you nurture the hope that your book will hit the big screens? See, and actually, uh, my purpose of writing the book was also to see the, somehow get it on celluloid, make a film out of it. Because uh, when you make a film, I will have to cut off a lot of part of it. Mm -hmm. And I am actually studying the art of uh, uh, script writing. It's not something I am familiar with. Mm -hmm. So I intend to first make a script myself. I would not trust some third party to do the script. Because this is my book. Did, and anyone, I know did anyone approach you? Sorry. No, 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 no one has approached me. me? A couple of friends have suggested ah, that it okay. should be made into awesome. a movie. Yes. Really awesome. Quite a few friends have suggested awesome. it would make a good movie. Hmm. But so I have said, yes, I will first prepare the script okay. and then ask anyone who is interested to make it based on the script. Because I know the place, I know my book better than anyone else. Would. Yeah, right. So I plan to, you in the, the long writer. run, yes. To, to approach someone to see if a book can be made. Yes, yes. See, what has now happened, there is some offer from some publishers in Britain. Mm. Uh, they have contacted me mm. to, to publish the book there. Mm. Of course, we are in the initial stages of discussions. Hopefully, the book will also be, produce, pro, will also be published in the British Isles. Because right now, it is published only in India. This publication by mm. Broadway is only confined to India. Just awesome, awesome. Now we all have to go one day when the big guy calls us. In a few short hours, the crying dies down. The crowd eventually disperses and goes its own way. And things get back to normal. But rather, Rao, you will continue to live through this book because you have touched a subject close to the hearts of the Goan people. And I wish you all the best as you move forward in this new part hopefully penning a lot of more books. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Radharao Gracias, the new novelist in town. It's Thank been you. a great Thank pleasure you. walking yeah. this journey yeah. with you. Thank you.